It's Puppetergy with a very special season two finale about the Cloris Lichman episode of The Puppet Show. Huzzah! the Great. They say huzzah a lot on that show. I say huzzah a lot. In she does say huzzah a lot. It's weird to me that you haven't noticed before. Welcome back, everyone. Thanks for sticking with us over our unexpected delay, but we are so glad to be back with you. I'm David Levy. Here today with me are Adam Grossworth, Christy Bauer, and Michal Richardson. Huzzah! Uh, y'all, our season finales are cursed. This is the second time that we have had major scheduling snafus leading up to our final episode, but that's okay. We have this section in our outline that's called Corrections and Additions, and most weeks, if we do it at all, it's corrections. This week, it's all additions. I'm so excited. Our friends and former and future guests, Mark Blankenship and Sarah D. Bunting, on their podcasts, Mark and Sarah Talk About Songs, you can guess what happens there. They have launched a series called WMST Moist FM, where they are ranking the moistest songs. I'm not going to try to explain that. They have a whole episode where they explain it. But there's a lot of late 70s content there. There is a lot of direct and indirect overlap with The Muppet Show. Um, They've got some uh, Leo Sayer coming up. uh, Don't Cry Out Loud is coming up. But in in their first ranking episode, they talk about... Angel of the Morning, which was written by Chip Taylor, who also wrote Wild Thing. And a bit of trivia that we missed in our Teresa Brewer episode is that Chip Taylor is John Voight's brother and therefore Angelina Jolie's uncle. What? Chip Taylor contains multitudes. So yeah, as if as if Wild Thing could not have gotten any weirder. <laughs> there you go. Thank you, Mark and Sarah. Right after, like, like a day after uh, we recorded, but before we released our John Cleese episode, uh, he said some racist shit at a conference or something. The link is in the John Cleese show notes if you care about the details. I I don't. I mean, I care about them, but I'm not going to relay them here. But I thought I should mention it because it it happened uh, before we actually put the episode out. Also in the John Cleese episode, in a, a much lighter note, I made the gifts for that after we recorded, and uh, particularly on an episode where we talked so much about um, Muppet magic and puppetry and editing, Sweetums goes from singing to dancing without, as far as I could tell, a camera cut. And he dances using both arms, and I don't know how that happened, because usually if his mouth is moving, he only has one working arm. So that's magic, and I'm delighted by it. And if anybody Or Richard knows, Hunt has three arms. Or Richard Hunt has three arms. Uh... So yeah, That's what his prom date said. Uh, oh, David. <laughs> <laughs> if anybody We're knows back. how that works. We're back, everybody. Let us know. <laughs> and um, we will, I don't know. There's a gif in the John Cleese show notes. It's delightful. Oh, it's still me. Hey, we're here to talk about season two, episode 24 of The Muppet Show. It's the last one of the season. Once again, we don't understand how this worked. This was produced in December of 1977, December 6th through 9th, 1977. But somehow it was the last episode of the season. It aired in New York City on May 20th, 1978. And it was, in fact, the 24th and final episode in the air order. So that's exciting. In our friend, the New York Times, on May 20th, 1978, this might be my personal favorite ad that we've (laughs) come across so far which will reveal, if you didn't already know, um, how big a nerd I am. You are invited to see and participate in the first area demonstration of the Radio Shack model TRS-80 personal, in quotes, I don't know why it's in quotes, personal microcomputer system. You will actually try the most impressive electronic breakthrough of our time for business, professional, and academic use. Prices started at $599, This is about $2,600 in today's dollars, and this was not my weirdest use of the inflation calculator this week. We will get into it. The TRS-80 had uh, from 4 to 48 kilobytes of memory. (laughs) And I'm pretty sure we had one of these. I think my dad had one of these. Um, So yeah, that ad will be in the show notes, obviously. On TV tonight, on CBS News, John Tesh, yes, that John Tesh, has a special report on real-life love boat cruises. This seems unnecessary. (laughs) Like, did anyone not know? I don't understand. Um, And there's a show on CBS after the Muppet Show called Sugar Time, which apparently has been on all season, but they were off some weeks. The Muppets were off some weeks, or they were reruns, so it hasn't come up until now. Uh, From IMDb, 
the sitcom Sugar Time exclamation point focused on the female rock trio Sugar, which which consisted of Max, two X's, a hat check girl at Sardi's East. Not really, but I can't hear the phrase hat check girl without that. Uh, Maggie, a dental hygienist, and Diane, a dance instructor. The only name I recognize from the IMDb page is Charles Fleischer, who played Lightning Jack Rappaport. Charles Fleischer, as in like Roger Rabbit, Charles Fleischer? Charles Fleischer, most famously, uh, the sleep doctor from Nightmare on Elm Street. Uh, yes, Charles Fleischer, as in Roger Rabbit, uh, Charles Fleischer. Wow. Yeah. The NBC movie was Just Me and You, starring Louise Lasser and Charles Grodin, a comedy about a computer salesman and an eccentric New Yorker who team up for a four-day auto trip from New York to Los Angeles. It was also written by Louise Lasser, quote, in her first TV appearance since Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman. To introduce our guest star, that's what I'm here to do. So it really makes me happy to introduce to you. Cloris Leachman was an American comedic actress on stage, film, and television, holding the title of Most Nominated Performer and sharing the title of Most Awarded Performer in Emmy Awards history. Born in 1926 in Iowa, her early aptitude on stage won her a chance to study broadcast drama at Northwestern University. At age 20, she dropped out of Northwestern to compete in the Miss America pageant, and then she moved to New York to seek a career on stage. She had actually won a scholarship. She didn't win Miss America, but she came in high enough that she won a scholarship that she was able to apply to studying at the Actors Studio under Elad Kazan, and she made her Broadway debut two years later. In the 1950s, she worked in both film and television. In 1953, she married producer-director George Englund, with whom she had five children. Cloris found that the television schedule gave her more time with her kids, so she began to focus her career on the small screen. Her career really blossomed in the 1970s. She found her signature television role as Phyllis on The Mary Tyler Moore Show and later in an eponymous spinoff, and she won an Oscar for her performance in the 1971 film The Last Picture Show. She would also become associated with Mel Brooks, appearing in Young Frankenstein as Frau Blucher. High Anxiety and The History of the World, Part 1. When she appeared on The Muppet Show, she had recently completed her second and final season of Phyllis. She would later return to episodic television as a regular on the final two seasons of The Facts of Life, and later in the recurring role of Grandma Ida on Malcolm in the Middle. As she states in this episode of The Muppet Show, she really was a vegetarian and a committed animal rights activist, appearing in a number of advertising campaigns for PETA. She died in January 2021 at the age of 94. So I imagine we all have Cloris Leachman memories. For me, I remember being really excited when she took over on The Facts of Life, and I'm not sure if I had already known her from the Mel Brooks movies or just sort of knew that she was like a famous funny comedian. But like, I have really specific memories about her being on The Facts of Life, which seems like a weird entry point to her career. <laughs> I was, I think I was mad when she took over. Mrs. Garrett was gone. I was so upset. I mean, that's fair, but also like the show was running its course and I think anything to shake it up seemed. Well, yeah, yes. But, and then she won me over. I mean, I would, that's obvious. That was obviously my, my first, my introduction to her as well. And then the Melbrook stuff, even though it in fact came earlier, came later for me. Wasn't Cloris Leachman also on Dancing with the Stars near the end of her life? Yes, she was. I yeah. believe she was the oldest person to ever compete on Dancing with the Stars. That's pretty she cool. She did okay. I think she like lasted like six weeks or so. I love that. Good for her. Yeah, I was a Nick at Night kid, so anybody and anything to do with the Mary Tyler Moore show holds a very fond place in my heart. Michal, what were your overall impressions this week? I'm having a hard time articulating what I thought of this episode, because it was definitely a solid enjoyable episode of the Muppet show. Cloris Leachman is terrific and a delight to watch. And also the story is bizarre, which I'm in favor of. It's bizarre to the point of being a little bit off-putting, but I give them full props for taking this as far as they did. Christy, how about you? I, I feel similarly to Michal. I admire this more in theory than I do in execution. Like it's perfectly lovely and you know, it's fairly bonkers, but I, I feel like some of the musical numbers are weirdly low energy. And, you know, I just, I wanted them to commit to the bit just slightly harder in a few spots, but it, it's not a bad time. Like I still enjoyed myself, but 
I, I, I think of this one as being kind of a eh, not a meh, just a eh. David? I like this episode. I'm always here for a high-concept Muppet show, and so the fact that the the backstage plot affects what happens on stage as well really works for me. Uh, I agree that the musical numbers don't all quite hit the way maybe they could, but overall, I, I think this is like a, a solid B. I, yeah, I kind of love it. It's I guess it's another case where like I, I wish... I wish the onstage stuff were a little better. I, there's one, one of the Chloris, Le- actually both of the Chloris Leachman musical numbers, I think are quite bad <laughs> through no fault of hers. Um, I think she's fantastic. I just don't like what they've chosen for her to do. Uh, she does it very well, but yeah, I, I'm also here for high concept. I feel like we're getting a little preview of what season three is going to start to be more like. And I am very much here for that, even if it's not quite fully formed yet. And I think that actually sort of, until I just started talking, helped me not quite think about the fact that I don't really like those musical numbers. So, yeah, it's like a, a B plus A minus for me. Chorus Leachman, 15 seconds to curtain, Miss Leachman. Okay, Scooter, I'll be ready. And thank you for this lunch. Just hope you remember that I don't eat meat of any kind. And you'll be happy to know that I am a vegetarian. So, in another instance of Muppet Show guest stars uh, having a cold open where their food talks back to them, we find Cloris Leachman surrounded by livestock who are all delighted to learn she's a vegetarian. However, the the plate of produce in front of her is displeased. Uh, No news tonight on the Yay Evolution front. Well, we have some news, but it's not from Kermit the Frog. We'll get there. Kermit does sound relieved when they've made it all the way through the show, though. Before we go, let us have a warm thank you for our very special guest star, ladies and gentlemen, Miss Cloris Leachman! It's kind of a yay. Yeah. He's going to be glad to go home and go to bed. Well, Kermit is glad it's over. Stetler and Waldorf wish they had never begun. Quit while you're ahead! Fair enough. Uh, Gonzo's trumpet is recycled orange smoke with those groovy yellow highlights from the Dom DeLuise episode. Still looks gorgeous. And still no Pope. Yeah, Muppet Joe backstage. So this week backstage, we don't actually see the backstage set at all. Uh, But on stage and also in the boiler room, we have a pig uprising at an all-pig Muppet show, pretty much. So as Kermit is introducing the show, two pigs throw a net over him, and a new MC named Kermit the Pig takes over the hosting duties. Buster, what's going on here? Where's my frog? Oh, wait, we pigs have taken over the show. Well, hoo-ha! Where's my frog, huh? What happened to him? But, Miss Piggy, you're starring in the opening number. I don't care if you touch one flipper of my frog. (laughs) I'm starring in the opening number? Of course, you're the biggest pig star we've got. We'll talk about what's-his-name later. If anybody out there wants to remix this, I just love the phrase, hoo-ha. Was it, where's my frog? Hoo-ha, where's the frog? I just want that phrase over and over again set to a beat. Can be arranged. Yeah. Didn't we have a whole discussion about hoo-ha last season? Yeah. It's, it's a different, it's, it's one, it can, you change the inflection, it changes the whole meaning. Yeah. Right? Because Fozzie uses it in a whole different way. Yeah. Fozzie weasels on stage while saying hoo-ha. Piggy says hoo-ha as if, as if to say no big deal. I may have an, a new response to the what's your favorite curse word if I ever go on inside the actor's studio. <laughs> Ooh. Glad you're compiling those answers now. So Piggy is told by Kermit the Pig that she's starring in the opening number, and it's really more like a walk-on spot. She's just part of the ensemble, really. Yeah, like there's really there is no star of this number. It's a full ensemble situation. Yeah, I mean maybe that's just what Kermit the Pig had to say to get her off the stage. True, he's better at this than Kermit the Frog. Yeah, <laughs> he knows how to manage the pigs, I guess. It did seem like a missed opportunity for a big Miss Piggy feature, but you know, one would think. Anyway, you heard Kermit the Pig. The pigs of the world have united. They've got nothing to lose but their links. Cloris Leachman is able to see through. The ruse of Kermit the Pig, however briefly. I've seen the Muppet Show on television many times, and you don't look anything like the Muppets that I've seen. 
Well, maybe it's your television set. No, it's not the set. I mean, you're 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 green, and and you've got that darling funny pointy collar that, that Kermit used to wear. But you're not you're not Kermit. Oh yes, no. I am. All right, then I'll spell it out for you. You are a pig, P I G. You're not a frog, F R O. No, 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 no. You are not a frog, and there's nothing you can say that will ever convince me that you are a frog. Nothing. Ribbit. <laughs> ribbit, ribbit. Kermit, it is you. I love everything about this. <laughs> so cute. I mean, Kermit the pig really does look nothing like the Muppets that Cloris Leachman has seen on television. Oh, well, he's a, green. He's got the little pointy collar. Like, yeah, yeah, and he looks like a pig. I mean, I'm also noticing that. The, the, it seems like they ran out of time while having to build some of these new puppets because I, I think that his torso is just foam that they had to glue together and spray Kermit green, which th- that's fine for almost all of the times that I watched it. I didn't notice, but yeah, I'm sure it looked much better on a 13 inch yeah. broadcast television <laughs> yeah. than on a 56 inch high def stream. I think this television. was all very ambitious and, you know, they knew they were only going to need this stuff once. And never imagined in their wildest dreams that it would ever be seen in high definition by the likes yeah. of us. <laughs> yeah. Uh, during this exchange, Pig Sweetums walks by, and Pig Sweetums is a horror show. So Pig Sweetums is made by taking regular Sweetums' body and putting Pig Ballerina Dancer's head on top. But then I think there's like a blonde wig a on top wig. of that. And it's... Yeah. It's super weird. It raises questions about Sweetums' gender. Which I'm here for. It's just weird because none of the other pig substitutes change the gender of the character. And they all look vaguely like the character. It's a monster. It's a giant monster with a pig head and a bunch of ostrich feather hair switching around. It's But like like Pig Kermit has like Kermit eyes, doesn't he? And is green. And is green, right? And like the like Pig Sweetums looks nothing like Sweetums, except it's it's a giant pig in Sweetums' clothes. That doesn't bother me. With the weird wig. I don't know. I just found it very odd and just weird looking. It's just weird looking. I mean, that's that's kind of the whole idea. I guess it's, And true. it's a one-off joke. I think it's fine. Okay. Uh, I'm easily disturbed. So, like, Pig Kermit is a pig who is, who is, you know, usurping Kermit's place and trying to trick Cloris. Is he painted green like Alphaba? Is he a genetically engineered pig who is actually green? Is he the child of a pig and frog union? Is he a fig? What What do we think is happening? <laughs> yes. Great. <laughs> done and done. My assumption is that Kermit and also Fozzie the pig, who we'll meet in a minute, are pigs in disguise. That this is not their natural... Uh, way of moving through the world, but for this mission, they have done whatever needed to be done in order to look that way. Right. Which I think also maybe helps explain the like weird sort of nowhere land that Pig Fozzie lands in. I mean, they also tell the whole audience that this is Kermit the Pig. It, yeah, yeah. It doesn't hold up when you analyze it too much. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe we should stop. Okay. Um, I, we mentioned... Uh, the yay up top. And I, they, I get, they did the same joke in the um, Steve Martin episode, but I don't know. I love it when the, when the performers make fun of each other, which I feel like is what's happening here. And now once again, our special guest, Miss Cloris Leachman. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> oh no, I just like it. Uh, throughout the episode, um, assorted non pigs are rounded up and thrown into the boiler room one by one. First did Fozzie and then Kermit and then Gonzo ends up in there with them too. Hey, Gonzo, what's happening with the show? Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's going great. They got this new MC, and the audience loves him. Kermit the Pig. (laughs) Kermit the Pig? Easy, easy, Kermit. Don't take it so personally. And the new comedian, Fozzie the Pig? Oh, is he funny? (gasps) We gotta get out of here! I love how Fozzie and Gonzo immediately are just like, it, it's an apocalypse. We are we are going worst case scenario. You know, we're, we're marking a calendar on the wall. You know, we're digging tunnels. 
I don't know. I found it very relatable. I'm, I'm definitely the person who's like, like, oh, I'm mildly inconvenienced. Well, I brought a book with me because I had a feeling that I might get stuck here for two days, you know, like. <laughs> yeah. And I brought some food and I brought a charger and a backup charger in case the first <laughs> charger wigs out. And- exactly. It, it, you know, it's one of those things. I didn't really think about this until just, until just now. But like we talked about it last episode, or I talked about it with the with like how unsettling it was to see Gonzo stretched out and just left there. If you think about it as an adult for five seconds, this is a pretty upsetting situation. If you think about it, right, you're on stage and you have a net thrown over you and you're locked in a boiler room. Yeah. Not gr- I mean, and there's, you know, cell phones don't exist. Like, it's not great. It's not great. They don't tell them for how they say they've taken over the show. So I don't know if that means they've taken over for 27 minutes or for an evening or forever. They don't specify. Yeah. Piggy unlocks the door momentarily to lock herself in with Kermit in solidarity, which she could have let them out. But uh, this lends itself to a better character moment. So that's what happens. Uh, Pigs in space on next. You have to cancel it. I, I remain with my sweetheart, Kermit. Come on, gee, Miss Piggy. Okay, we'll just get someone to take your place. Take my place? I mean, if you want to stay here with him, we'll kill Well. And since we're all thinking it, I think we have to hear the bit that that uncannily resembles from the Muppet movie. Yeah, Marty, what do you got? Commercial? How much? Mm Mm-hmm. When? Take it. Um... Goodbye. That's showbiz. It really is identical timing, <laughs> identical blocking. It, I mean, it works. Why change it? Yeah. It's fantastic. Yeah. It ain't broke. So uh, Fozzie and Kermit and Gonzo are all stuck in the boiler room for an untold amount of time. Gonzo digs a tunnel with a spoon uh, until an unbelievable coincidence distracts the pigs. Hey, Kermit! We're free! We're free! Really? Well, what happened? Well, someone next door was holding a hog-calling contest, so they all heard it and ran off! <laughs> what a plot twist! How amazing! How unbelievable! How convenient! So it turns out that this is too convenient to be a coincidence. Yeah, well, I don't know how to explain to you about those pigs. Where did those pigs come from? And where did they go? I mean, who would organize a hog calling contest? It was amazing. It was bizarre. It was easy. Chloris, you did that for us? Well, I'm from Iowa. You must be a great hog caller. So, I love the way she says it was easy. It's just, there's something perfect about that delivery. Hog calling is one of those things that I only, only exists to me as a pop culture reference. And I wonder if this is why, like, I know it pops up in other places, but uh, this, this is probably like the first time I ever heard of it. I'm guessing. Yeah. Does it work? I don't know. Is it real? Like, I have no idea. Yes, there are all sorts of YouTube videos of hog calling competitions. Highly recommend getting lost in them for an hour. Is it in Charlotte's Web? Is it in the, the animated Charlotte's Web? Do they do, is there a suey thing in that? I don't know. I associate it with State Fair. Of course you do. Mm-hmm. Well, that's backstage. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, we 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 have a, a lot of pork forward music to discuss this week. Golly. Wow. Yeah. We start with a good old fashioned uh Hollywood razzle dazzle show tune. The lights on the lady in time. 
or the bride with the guy on the side or the ball where she gives him her all that's entertainment it might be a fight like you see on the screen. A swing getting slain for a lovely queen. Some great Shakespearean scene where a ghost and a prince meet. And everyone ends in mincemeat. The gang, baby waving the flag that began with a Mr. Cohen hit Yep, that's entertainment. Is it? Uh, that's if- entertainment, kid. Get used to it. If you ask the pigs, it is. Yeah, so that that's a, a, a bunch of pigs uh, performing a song called That's Entertainment, which is from a 1953 movie musical called The Bandwagon. It was written by Arthur Schwartz and Howard Dietz, who were a songwriting team who worked a lot together. The most fun or notable fun facts that I, I can throw your way about those two gentlemen. Arthur Schwartz was the father of uh, disgraced radio personality, Jonathan Schwartz and Howard Dietz uh, was the previous owner of the townhouse that was accidentally blow up by the weather underground in New York city in 1970. <laughs> huh. Thank you for those facts. He wasn't the owner of it at the time, but um, yeah, he apparently sold it. And then the next owners were the parents of, one of the members of the Weather Underground, and they were making bombs in the basement, and one accidentally blew up. That's entertainment. That's entertainment. Um, yeah, so I I found the staging of this really interesting because it, it was very evocative of the opening number of Manhattan Melodies in the Muppet Six Manhattan with the sort of like, you know, flat cars going across the stage. And what did you guys think? Who, I mean, I who agree. wants to talk about the clown? So there's a clown. <laughs> which is a pig wearing clown makeup. And if you're wondering where does the makeup go on the pig face, that's a great question. I do not recommend looking too closely for the answer because it's horrifying. There are at least two gifts in our show notes. Um, (laughs) I'm not anti-clown. We we all know that I love our friends from Send in the Clowns. It's like one of those hobo clowns. I don't know if this is intentional, but right, like where like, it's got like some of the clown features, but not the full like white face underneath. And I think that's what makes it creepy to me because also that's on a Muppet pig. So just nothing about it looks right. I think it's the whole snout issue. Also that it's like, you can't do a red nose when you've got a snout. And so it sort of throws off the whole thing. You could put a nose on a snout. It would be, that would be funny. It'd be a nose (laughs) on a nose and that would be fine. If that pig were in white face paint, I don't think that would help anything. Wouldn't hurt. <laughs> wouldn't make it worse. <laughs> anyway, also, Miss Piggy is in no way the star of this number. We've we've said that no, already, but she has one like, line. She has a line. Annie Sue has more lines than she does. So I just want to mention here, I think part of why I was so underwhelmed by the musical numbers in this particular episode is that the pigs don't necessarily perform them well. <laughs> I mean, not that anyone comes to the Muppet show for the most beautifully rendered versions of any of these songs, but there's something about the way the pigs sing that you're just like, ugh. Stop. Yeah, there's a lot of shtick happening in this number, isn't there? There's a lot of shtick, but very little concept. Right. There's just like a lot of voices. Right. It's sort of like a high school show choir approach to this song, and that's maybe where it falls apart. Like, Although, I mean, in later seasons, we also get songs where the concept is just totally inscrutable, like when they do Lullaby of Broadway, but it's set in the North Pole. I, I for years, have tried to understand what's going on in that. I don't. When we get there, maybe one of you will explain it to me. But this is like the opposite, where there's no high concept. It's not overly literal. It's it's just like we're singing the song and doing the thing pretty much the way you would expect an uninspired show choir to do it. I mean, if this had been a bunch of frogs and dogs and bears and chickens and things, would would you have accepted it? Or is it that the pigs are like trying a little too hard and not quite on par with the rest of the Muppets? Is that a general question or to one of us specifically? <laughs> it's to any of you. Because I think it's fine. It just feels like the Muppet Show to me. I sure it feels like the Muppet Show. It just it feels like the Muppet Show when they aren't trying particularly hard. Okay. 
I mean, somebody put a lot of effort into their clown makeup. A lot of effort? Some effort. You know, I didn't know pigs could do that. Be that talented? No, be that bad. So we get to head north for our our next number, which is actually a medley of numbers. Noted opera singers uh, Link Hogthrob and Cloris Leachman are here to render us a medley of numbers from operettas. They are, I am informed, in the setting of the operetta Rosemarie. Is that right? Yeah. So Rosemarie takes place in Canada and uh, many of the characters are Mounties. So even though we don't hear any music from Rosemarie in this, the the pines and the snow and all the pigs dress up like Mounties, that's Rosemary. Great. I hope Rosemary has a bunch of pigs dressed up like Mounties. So we're, we're going to break this down into pieces. Uh, the thing that we just heard uh, is a song called My Hero from uh, The Chocolate Soldier from 1908. Shout out to the public domain. Uh, music by Oscar Strauss. Uh, originally uh, from the German, uh, the original text was by uh, Rudolf Bernauer and Leopold Jacobson. And this uh, English translation was by Stanislaus Stang. Stang. And it's an adaptation of George Bernard Shaw's Arms and the Man. And my understanding is all of the operettas in this medley have been made into movies. And so if any of this sounds interesting to you, and I'm sure it all will. Why would it? Yeah. Look it up. Here's the the thing. All of them have been made into movies. Very few of these movies resemble the operettas as they were on stage. Uh, so the chocolate soldier, which I had to be reminded as we were prepping for this episode, I have seen within the last two years, uh, they took the plot of a totally different operetta, I believe, or maybe just a different play and made that into a movie called the chocolate soldier. But in the plot of that play, which is about like a, a husband and wife who are, fighting with each other while also performing together. They swapped in scenes from the chocolate soldier for the onstage section. So the movie is called the chocolate soldier, but it's really a movie that sort of takes place around a production of the chocolate soldier, as opposed to being a movie of the chocolate soldier. If any of that makes sense. Huh? Sure. Okay. MGM also had this like ridiculous habit of when they made these operetta movies, they would often hire a new lyricist, to write new English lyrics, even if they already had English lyrics, mostly so that they could get a bigger piece of the copyright of the song when it got republished with the film tie-in. It's just, it's like a whole bonkers, very, very bonkers subsection of musical films. And some of you may remember that uh, in the early phase of the pandemic in 2020, I went hard into this little subgenre and watched all of them. <laughs> so <laughs> we'll see how much of this discussion stays in the final edit. <laughs> it, was, it was actually very interesting. I'm sorry I made fun of you before you started. <laughs> so the the next piece is a song that pops up a lot in comedy scenarios. stuck in a pine tree right now right yeah i think so yeah yeah Yeah. um so this is our sweet mystery of life uh from naughty marietta from 1910 also in the public domain uh music by victor herbert book and lyrics by rita johnson young and uh i would like to point out that two of the four songs in this medley uh have lyrics by women and I just found it interesting that women were such prominent writers during the operetta era and then not so much for uh, 
up and the rest of the after history. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, we, we won't dwell. Um, I have biographies yeah. of both of these women sitting on my bedside table that I have not yet had a chance to read, but I'm excited to learn more about them. Amazing. P- please do keep us posted because I am intrigued. Uh, so yes, yeah, so Naughty Marietta uh, takes place in uh, New Orleans in 1780 and it, it has to do with pirates. And there have been two movie versions of it. The first of which starred uh, Jeanette McDonald and Nelson Eddy, who uh, you may remember were the inspiration for Wade and Wanda. So and that was their first film together. Oh, well, there you go. And uh, Clarice Leachman and Madeline Kahn both sing uh, parts of this in Young Frankenstein. Yes. I can tell you that a different song from Naughty Marietta featured on Sesame Street, where Placido Flamingo and the Sesame Street All Animal Orchestra sang Italian street song, pretty much as it appears in Naughty Marietta, only they're all animals. It's great. Uh, I'll I'll share that YouTube clip. It's a lot of fun. Spoiler, Wayne and Wanda will perform the song in episode 406. <laughs> so they're coming back. <laughs> Yay! Huh. Cloris Leachman had previously performed it in a scene that was deleted from Mel Brooks' Young Frankenstein. I guess it was restored? Or maybe they deleted a full performance of the song and we just get like the one line in the Maybe. I'm like, it's definitely in the DVD that I have. Overhead, the moon is Nothing is heard but the song of a bird. So yeah, uh, song three of four in the medley is a song called Serenade from an operetta called The Student Prince from 1924. Shout out to the barely public domain. Uh, music by Sigmund Romberg. A book and lyrics by Dorothy Donnelly. And it was the longest running Broadway show of the 1920s. And if you're wondering what the student prince is about, it's about a prince and he's a student. Who'd have thunk? The Chocolate Soldier, Naughty Marietta, and the Student Prince all could be porn titles. I know we've talked on occasion about those MGM musicals that took the life story of a composer and used his songs to tell the story in a biopic format. There is one about Sigmund Romberg. It's called Deep in My Heart. I think it's a lot of fun. It really is like one of those all-star spectaculars where like every MGM star shows up to do one song. So we get like, there's a Gene Kelly number and there's a Sid Charisse number. And Sigmund Romberg is played by Jose Ferrer in it, which is sort of like a funny mismatch, but he pulls it off. And if you're curious about Dorothy Donnelly, she's a main character in this. If you like big, splashy musical numbers and you're not put off by operetta, they, they are certainly performed in a far less operatic style than than you're hearing on the Muppet Show. It's worth a couple hours of your time. Good to know. The movie version of the Student Prince, however, not so much worth your time. Man, it's a good thing you're here, David. Yeah, I would have run right out and bought these DVDs. <laughs> <if you weren't. laughs> I'd have spent $100 on DVDs today. I did hold the Student Prince in my, in my hands today and book it and say, did I see this one or not? <laughs> and I remembered I had uh i got it confused a little bit with the vagabond king which is not in this medley we'll put david's letterbox link in the show notes <laughs> and luckily we get a rousing finale this is stout-hearted men or as they render it stout-hearted pigs from uh an operetta called the new moon uh from 1928 shout out to the not quite public domain this also has music by sigmund romberg uh and lyrics by a young gentleman named oscar hammerstein the second wonder what happened to him and uh apparently in <laughs> that answers that question. Oh, it's accurate. 
Spoilers. Yeah, so my understanding of the new moon is that there's an aristocrat and he's got like revolutionary tendencies and then there's a boat and there's a plucky young woman named Marianne and it all just sounds really dramatic and exhausting. Uh, it's a lot of fun of all of these. If anyone actually wants to explore operetta, that's the one that's probably like the most palatable to a modern sensibility. Uh, it's it's a good story. It's It's got numbers. It has some that are very operatic but it also has a bunch that are more like a Broadway show tune of, you know, the jazz age. There's a movie with Nelson Eddy and Jeanette McDonald that actually borrows a lot of the plot of Naughty Marietta. So we get things like pirates and shipwrecks. There's also a production from the New York city opera that must've aired on PBS that is on YouTube in full. Uh, Honestly, I would go with the movie version. It's less faithful, but more fun, but they're both out there if you're interested. So our final musical number is Pig Free. That's a funny name. In time. Oh, I found you just in time. Before you came, my time was running low. I was lost. The losing dice were tossed. My bridges all were crossed. Nowhere to go. <laughs> this arrangement is so sludgy. It's so sludgy. It's like you like took a Benadryl and then tried to create a me on the Wii. yeah that's exactly what it sounds like chloris is on a a desert island with uh sweetums and then eventually a dog lion as well and yeah it's it's cute. It's fine. It's just kind of sleepy. But it's this is just in time from the Broadway show Bells Are Ringing from 1956. Uh, music by Julie Stein and book and lyrics by Betty Compton and Adolph Green. And Bells Are Ringing, not about a student or a prince or a naughty Marietta. Bells Are Ringing was about an operator at a telephone answering service who got very involved in the lives of the people that she talked to on the telephone and or listened to on the telephone. A star vehicle for the actress Judy Holiday. That's a fun movie. That honestly, fuck the operettas. Go watch Bells Are Ringing, <laughs> directed by Vincent Minnelli. It's really, it's just, it's a great translation of a mid-century musical to the screen. Yeah, I've never seen that movie. I didn't realize that Dean Martin is the male lead in it. Yeah, huh. yeah, I've never so. seen it, and I missed that revival too. Oh, you did not miss anything there. Okay, but I say that as someone who has a signed poster of that revival hanging in his office. <laughs> Because I worked on the cast album. It is on HBO Max, so I will check it out. I know what I'll be doing this weekend. So this, the setup for this is Cloris Leachman gets stranded on a desert island, which is already occupied by Sweetums, and they have this exchange. Pretty blonde lady make good fondue. Oh, that depends. Uh, are you thinking of me as the cook? Or the dish. <laughs> well, you're quite a dish. That does it. I'm leaving. I, how would you make fondue out of a person? Please don't actually answer that. I don't want to know. <laughs> I like that the priorities were with fondue and whether or not she could make it. But fondue it is a funny a word. Turn. It is a really funny word, and it's a very 1977 word. Right. It just reminded me of... I don't know. Have you guys ever been to uh, the Melting Pot, that fondue restaurant chain? Do you know what I'm talking about? I, I'm, I'm aware of it, but I've never. No. Been. Yeah. Well, the 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 fanciest thing on their menu is a thing that my my friend Monica refers to as the the Mammals of North America tour. Where... Oh, that sounds amazing! <laughs> I'm on board already. What do you dip them in? Where they just like bring you different. What's well, it's, it's it's like multi courses, and it's like you know, there's the cheese course, and there's a chocolate course, but there's the the entree course is like a you know, like a broth type thing that you like, you know, you spear different types of meat and you like let it cook in the broth. And um yeah, I just oh. chorus leaks. So she's thing. not the fondue, she's to be dipped into the fondue. Thank you, you've solved my problem. 
Now yeah. I understand. She is a mammal of North America. Yeah. Great. She's from Iowa. I'm thinking about this too hard. Yep. <laughs> Let's get to show business. Never mind that jazz. Listen, turkey. What? And get out of show business. That's entertainment. So we've got a little barrage of pig-centric show business this episode, all in a row. So let's get down to show business, or perhaps we should say so-sow business. (laughs) That is a stretch. I'm trying, man. I mean, they're not putting any effort in. They're naming everybody Kermit the Pig and Dr. Pig. Just trying to keep myself entertained. What would you name Kermit the Pig if not Kermit the Pig? I was, hmm. (laughs) <laughs> well, Kermit the pig is fine, but it should have been Fozzie Boar. I, that is a hill that I will die on. That's fair. Yeah. Uh, rather than replacing Dr. Bob with Dr. Pig, they could have replaced him with Dr. Hog. They mentioned Dr. Bunsen Honey Pig, which isn't anything. He could have been Dr. Bacon Honey Pig. Just putting that out there. Yeah. Yep. These are all excellent points. Thank you. Cute. Cute idea. Let's hear Kermit the Pig introduce Fozzie the Pig. And now it's time for everybody's favorite funny pig. That great big lovable ham who's really a bore and proud of it. Mr. Fozzie Pig! Ah! Ah! Yeah, there's a bear-shaped, uncomfortably bear pig on stage. Or like a pink flesh-colored bear with Wait, no, it's still brown. It's just like a smooth, fleshy brown instead of a fuzzy, mm, hairy brown. Fleshy brown. It's a naked bear, or it's a pig. I don't know. And he's not naked. He's wearing a necktie. There you go. <laughs> it's true. I know this is actually a good point, because Fozzie is also naked, but because he's furry, it doesn't look as weird. <laughs> and Kermit is naked, but but felt. Like, it's the texture. So, okay, I mean, so we're here. Color. We're doing it this. Looks- Let's get into this. It looks like a naked person is the problem with the naked bear. Yeah, so like he's a rod puppet, like like a Kermit, but but made to look like Fozzie. So like he's got these fat arms, like Fozzie's arms, but Fozzie's arms would nor- you know normally has human arms inside them. So like it just doesn't. It looks weird, and it's like a lot of foam. And I'm like staring at this gif of it right now, which is doing me no favors because it's looping and I need to turn it off because it's driving me insane. Um, <laughs> but like the, um, yeah, I think I hadn't thought about this until just staring at that gif while you were talking. Like there's something about like the texture of a Muppet that allows it to not wear clothes and have that look weird. That like Kermit's felt and Fozzie and Gonzo's fur but then the Muppets that wear clothes, I, I think there's a reason. I, I never thought about this before, but like it does, this Muppet does look weird. It does look naked, and I think that's something to do with the with the with the fabric and the color, huh? Because it is the exact same costume Fozzie wears. I'm glad you've worked this out. Well, I haven't. I'm just thinking out loud, and maybe we'll cut all this. But <laughs> you're going to end up in Donald Duck territory. I mean, kind of for long enough. Anyway, let's hear. Fozzie Pig's act. Really great to be here entertaining you. Uh, but next year I'm going back to school. Yeah, you see, get this. You see, I still got a lot to loin. I uh, get it? Pork? Loin? Uh, no, I know it's the haircut. Mm. Uh, yeah, but, uh, well, I could do this all night. Uh, uh, yeah, but my sauerkraut is double parked. Ah, uh, get it? Double pork? Uh, pork, uh, aga, 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 aga. Sourpuff? <laughs> Double pork. It's Yeah, this pig has some serious rich little energy. It's disturbing how much of the pig's humor has to do with an intense knowledge of how pigs are butchered. <laughs> <laughs> I knew we'd get there. Oh, Hadn't even occurred to me. So he goes out on Haga Haga Haga, which is not Waka Waka Waka. Which is notable because Waka 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 hasn't really been introduced yet. That's something that I think comes up the first time in the Muppet movie. But I think Haga 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 here is supposed to be like Haya Haya Haya, not like Waka Waka Waka. Right. Which I do think we've heard Fozzie say in the past. 
it's weird that he would say that at the end of the act, but but it's yeah. But I think so much of this is is Muppet performers making fun of other Muppet performers. So like the fact that they're doing it wrong sort of adds to the charm, right? Does anyone understand my sauerkraut is double porked? Obviously, I understand double porked, but is sauerkraut like a pun on a type of seventies car that we don't remember anymore? I wonder or if it's this, just the idea of a German car. Yeah, that's Volkswagen time. sauerkraut. Like that's probably it. All right. Yeah, it's a funny word. Funnier than fondue, and a delicious side dish that's good for your biome. Uh, continuing in our parade of pigs replacing Muppets, there's a Swedish chef bit where it appears that Jim and Frank have switched places. There's a pig in the chef's outfit. The pig is performed by Frank Oz. And I'm guessing that those are Jim's hands because they're a different set of hands. Um, Anyway, this chef is preparing popcorn by shooting an ear of corn with the blunderboos. Somehow the human hands with the pig head are even creepier (laughs) than when it's at least a humanoid bumpet. I'm fine with it. Of course you are. Oh, I think it's creepier just because Jim's hands are really long and spindly. (laughs) Yeah. Maybe that was why. There's something about the proportions that a little that's a little off. It's it feels extra chaotic to me, which I I found funny, but yeah, it is upsetting. I think that goes back to like the performers fucking with each other. Like I think it's extra chaotic because they're having so much fun having their positions reversed that like especially like Jim being the hands, like he can't help himself, but like get back at Frank for two years of Frank pulling shit as the hands. Yeah. It's the season finale. I like that. They're having a little extra fun with a little extra chaos. So this week's veterinarians hospital is a vegetarians hospital. We're told the narrator is still Jerry Nelson, but he's doing more of a, a hairy monster voice than his regular announcer voice. And Dr. Bob and nurse Janice have been replaced by pigs. It's all right. They have group insurance. (laughs) Group insurance? They'd better have grape insurance. (laughs) Here's a nice bunch. (laughs) What's the problem here? Well, the corn has a bad ear, Mm. the potato has a bad eye, Mm -hmm. and the eggplant... Yes? The eggplant has a bad yolk. That's why they pay me a big salary. <laughs> why does the eggplant have teeth? So that it can tell its yolk. It's so upsetting. <laughs> Is it about to eat all the other vegetables? I don't know. I, you know what it looks like? It looks like that Muppet uh, from from the modern era who was modeled on the writer with the glasses that the blink. Chip. Chip. Looks like that, only it's an eggplant. It's got human teeth. It's bad. And now we're going to think about that. Yep, that's why I said it. Let's think about Muppet News Flash instead. The eminent research scientist, Dr. Bunsen Honeypig, today announced he had successfully converted a sow's ear into a silk purse. (laughs) Dr. Honeypig is now the object of a massive civil and criminal suit by the wife of a neighborhood artist, Mrs. Vincent Van Gogh Pig. That is lazy writing. Mm-hmm. Yes. Ugh, so lazy. And I'm trying to turn it into a pig joke. I mean, I keep coming back to Vincent Van Sow, but it's still not a thing. That's better. Thanks. That's why they pay me the big bucks. Hoo-ha. Okay, let's talk about Pigs in Space. Starring the quixotic Captain Link Hogthrob, the vacuous first mate Miss Piggy, and the somnambulistic Dr. Julius Strangepork. The swine trek this week is under attack by a mysterious alien being. All while Link is concerned that he's got a ketchup stain on his uniform. Okay. A lot of questions. <laughs> We're going to talk about the chopped liver monster from the planet Zabar. This is not the last that we'll see of the chopped liver puppet who just looks kind of like a a mass of brown foam, which makes sense. 
this puppet will appear several more times in Muppet Productions. For those of you who don't have a mother-in-law with an almost fanatical devotion to Zabar's. Or just grew up on the Upper West Side, like some of us did. <laughs> Zabar's is an iconic appetizing store. That's that's the type of store they are. It's basically a, a deli-centric market on the Upper West Side of Manhattan. To, to be clear, appetizing traditionally means that it's like what you think of a deli, only they sell dairy, not meat, in the Jewish cultural kosher breakdown of keeping those things separate. So a, a, a traditional appetizing store would sell like smoked fish and cream cheese and not chopped liver. Yeah, though they do have chopped liver. And well, like, and like yeah. shrimp. They're also not kosher, but that's the Right. That's right, right. I'm just saying, like, yeah, yeah. if anyone's never encountered the, the term appetizing store, like that's that like I don't think appetizing is a term that's used very right, much. Right. In general, it's certainly not outside of New York. Fair enough. And like you've seen this, you've seen it in a movie. It's in there's a scene in When Harry Met Sally, right? You've no, got wait. mail. You've got mail, thank you. It's wild to me that this is a reference that they make on the Muppet Show as if people would get it. Would people have gotten this in 1977? Like, I mean, would people internationally? Get it now? I think now, maybe. I think with the internet and I think with it having shown up in enough like Woody Allen and Nora Ephron movies, probably. I mean, in the 70s, like Zabar's was a lyric in the magic show, which was like an absurdly successful long running Broadway show. Now granted that is in New York, but it ran long enough and played to plenty of tourists. Like yeah. I think it was a cultural touchstone already. Okay. Fair. I mean, I don't know. I was a baby. <laughs> but, and I, <laughs> what do I know? And I grew up three blocks away. <laughs> so I was just always there. I have no idea. <laughs> and I had managed to live on the Upper West Side for well over a decade until I had to ever go into Zabar's. Oh, yeah, I don't go uh, in. It's a terrible experience. But, I mean, yeah. I mean, <laughs> they do great mail order, though. If you ever want to send, like, a really nice gift basket to someone with, like, a babka and some coffee, etc. Yeah, bagels. really good. And since I've invited you this far into my brain, I must share that whenever anyone mentions Zabar's within earshot of me, and now that I have a mother-in-law who frequently asks me to go there and wait online at the fish counter for her, I am contractually obligated whenever anyone mentions Zabar's to yell, girl, I want to take you to the Zabar's to the tune of Gay Bar by Electric Six. <laughs> girl, I want to take you to a gay bar. I want to take you to a gay bar. I want to take you to a gay bar, gay bar, gay bar. Sometimes Michal asks me for clips, and I just say, okay. And <laughs> I just want to point out, Stephen Schwartz got there first. The lyric in the magic show is, West End Avenue, delis and laundromats and gay bars. West End Avenue, only a block away from Zabar's. <laughs> All right. All right. I don't mind being second to that. So I mentioned, God, it feels like 17 hours ago, uh, <laughs> that I <laughs> used the inflation calculator twice this week. Because the well, well it's it's my, it's my own fault. No one has talked more than me. Um, the for one sixty nine a pound, you want beautiful line sent me down such a rabbit hole. So a dollar sixty nine in nineteen seventy seven uh, would be twenty eight dollars and sixty six cents today. So now it sounds expensive for chopped liver. Um, I don't know what chopped liver should cost. I don't eat it. I did look this up. Uh, on the Zabar's website, eight ounces of chopped liver currently costs nine ninety eight, uh, which would be you know so about twenty dollars a pound. So it actually, if that price is accurate, costs less than it cost in uh, nineteen seventy seven. Uh, for comparison, a pound of chopped herring salad is about the same price. Eight ounces of plain cream cheese is eight ninety eight, so a little bit less. Eight ounces of red salmon caviar is forty five dollars. Uh, quite a bit more. Uh, their lox is $59 a pound. Which is bananas. What? It sounds perfectly reasonable to my mother-in-law, and it has something to do with how they slice it. I don't know. I mean, even on the website, it's like a picture of like a slab of salmon. So sure, but... They slice it very thin. Yeah. I don't know, man. I don't know. Really? $59 a pound? Yeah, dude. Yeah. Wow. Banana pants. Uh, and uh, duck foie gras is uh, between seventy and one hundred and forty dollars a pound. Um, you know, which I only bring up because it is it is a form of liver pate, which chopped liver technically is, but obviously not nearly as fancy. 
Pigs may have taken over, but there's one thing about the show they haven't changed. What's that? It's still not funny. (laughs) Well, after many weeks of preparation and many hours of recording, here we are at the end. Does anyone have final thoughts about either this episode or season two as a whole? You know, somehow in all that prep, we we skipped over all the notes that were in our outline about the close. <laughs> and so I want to briefly mention Cloris Leachman's fully bonkers dress in the operetta medley. It's big and flowy and pink. And the sleeves. And the wig. Oh, and the wig. God. Um, and then in the closing, she comes on in this really lovely yellow blouse that is not a color a lot of people could pull off that she looks amazing in. She does. So. I'm so impressed by Cloris Leachman. She's great. I really wish they gave her better songs to sing because she's just fantastic. I mean, she does great with what they give her. Yeah. Looking back at the season, what are the episodes that really stand out at you as either the best or the most surprising? The most surprising, the most surprising to me in a negative way was Elton John because I remembered it as being good and it disappointed me. I won't go so far as to say it was bad. I mean, I've really sort of fixated on the J.P. Morgan episode. Yeah. I wonder if it's actually as good as I built it up in my mind or if it was just like I came in with no expectations, wasn't really familiar with her, and had such a nice time with it. So I might rewatch that before we go to season three just to sort of see – how I set my level. It was a really pleasant surprise. I mean, I, there, you know, these are, we've, I've said this before and I'm sure it will come up again in season three. Um, you know, I have these DVDs, right? These are all episodes that I have watched at some point in the last 15 years, which is like, you know, a lot has happened in the last 15 years and my memory is not great, but like to have an episode like JP Morgan and Lou Rawls and Cleo Lane, like for better or for, and even and Elton John, like what the good and the bad, like that. I just, had very little memory of and like that was just an interesting experience to 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 sort of feel like i had never watched them or mm-hmm. or like i remembered them totally wrong in the case of of elton john um cleo lane was another really nice surprise like even though you know there were parts of it that that were creepy and actually i wasn't on that episode so i didn't really get to talk about it with you guys um but like i i really i really liked that and it was another one that had just fully left my brain yeah i th- feel like the the overarching lesson of this particular season is that the quality of a guest does not necessarily dictate the quality of an episode. Yeah. I mean, the Elton John episode is sort of like the, you know, the big example of that, but don't set your expectations too high or too low because anything can happen. Yeah. Steve Martin also, like I, I had warm memories of that one and high hopes for both Steve Martin and Elton John and like, they were fine. They weren't standout episodes for me. Yeah, to me, the the, the high watermarks were J.P. Morgan and the Rudolf Nureyev. It's been interesting, too, like, knowing for sure that two of my all-time favorite episodes are coming up pretty quickly in season three. And I, I feel very confident about this. <laughs> my memory will not fail me, because I have, I have rewatched them more recently. That, like, sort of watching the show become more of what I remember fondly. Um, you know, even, even as we quibbled with this episode, the sort of high concept stuff that's starting to happen, the the full episode through lines that, that started to happen, even when they weren't entirely successful, it's like, Oh, they're trying something there, you know, and like watching him and Otter again and seeing them experiment with, with that puppetry and, and, you know, like a, a joke in this episode that fully winds up in the Muppet movie. It's it's been interesting to kind of watch that evolution happen, knowing what's coming up. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to diving into season three. There are, I would say, four episodes that before I rewatch, I would be willing to bet land in my all time top ten, and we'll see if they hold up. Yeah, it's, I'm curious to see if they're the same as mine. Although, I mean, I'm looking at the list now, and and uh, once again, there are episodes on this list I do not remember at all. And I have these DVDs and I have watched them <laughs> sometime in the last decade. So that'll be well, some of these are like performers who, when I watched them on DVD, I didn't necessarily know who they are. And now, uh, you know, at my ripe old age, I'm much more familiar with, with who they are and how they fit into pop culture. And that might make a difference too, as to yeah. how I receive them, I guess. Yeah. Looking forward to season three. Come back in a couple months, everybody. That was weird. I'll tell the world. Go ahead. That was weird. Weird. <laughs> <laughs>
Thanks for listening to this episode of Muppeturgy. As we sort of implied, we're going to be taking a short break between seasons. Unclear exactly how long, but in the meantime, Christy's going to be releasing some new episodes of Caroline and the podcast to keep you company. I'm going to go get married real quick. And somebody's getting married. 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 Somebody's getting Anyway, use the next couple of months to catch up on our archives or, you know, go touch grass, whatever. Um, we'll be back in early summer. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast app of your choice to make sure that you don't miss out and get the next episode as soon as it drops. Meanwhile, we'll still be on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Muppeturgy or on the web at Muppeturgy.com. Twitter's the best place if you want to really, like, be in on the action. That's where we tend to update more than just occasionally. Now's a wonderful time to leave a positive review wherever you get your podcasts. Our theme music was composed and performed by Christy Bauer. Our show logo was created by Todd Brian Backus, and this episode was edited by me, David Levy. Where's my sound clip? <laughs> God damn it. Buster, what's going on here? Where's my frog? Oh, wait, we pigs have taken over the show. Well, hoo-ha! Where's my frog, huh? <laughs> <laughs> hoo-ha, where's my frog would be a great name for the next Muppet sitcom. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> or, or her talk show, Well, Hoo-ha. <laughs> yeah. <sighs>